It's Wednesday night, and we're talking Cincinnati Bengals as usual on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Happy to be joined by John Sheeran. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a lull time, as we've said, a cup for the past couple of weeks in the NFL calendar and for the Cincinnati Bengals. But they've still been making some headlines, making some news. We're going to talk about it. John, how you doing, buddy? Uh, happy almost February, I guess, if you can believe that. January's cruising by. January January 2021 is cruising by. I'm feeling feeling good though. I feel like got, got some good prep for the show. It's it's gonna be a good show. I feel I feel good about it. Yeah, there's uh there's quite a bit to get to. We're gonna tell you a quick announcement in just a second. There's a lot of news and notes. We're centering around Bengals coaches, what they may or may not do in free agency, with uh, you know according to some different sources around within the organization. We'll talk about that. And uh, we've got a second version of State Your Case. We've got an interesting one that has been kind of making some headlines throughout the Twitter Twitter outlets and all, all kinds of – there's so many draft experts out there now, whether you're sitting on your own couch in front of your computer screen or maybe in front of a TV screen. Um, there's so many draft ex- experts out there, so we've got to we've got to chime in. And then, of course, we've got a free agency profile of a potential target for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to talk about some strengths and weaknesses, and then we're going to drop the mic and get out of here. So let's start before we get to the news and notes, John Sheeran. Let's start with an announcement. We said last week that we are we have been trying. Uh, we're, we're working on getting a lot of guests as we gear up to the Super Bowl. You know, a lot of guys make themselves available and, um, you know, we want we want to bring you some content aside from what we normally do. We like to get some uh, prominent people on the show connected to the Cincinnati Bengals. So we put feelers out to a lot of different folks and we're starting to hear back from some of them, one of which he will either be joining us next Wednesday, the 27th or the following Wednesday. But we've got him dialed in. Ken Anderson will be joining us on the program once again. Uh, We had him in the summer talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're going to talk to him about Joe Burrow, how the 2020 Bengals season ended up, his Super Bowl memories and all kinds of different stuff. So a big guest lined up and many more to come. So, John, we are pretty excited about that. Once we lock down which Wednesday he'll be joining us on the program, we'll we'll let you guys know. But pretty excited about that, man. Yeah, it's I think what now we just passed the 40 year anniversary of the freezer bowl. It was that 1981, 1982, yeah, I guess. So I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah. So, wow. We definitely have to talk to him about that. Last time we talked to him was back in, I think June or July. And that was, that was one of my favorite interviews that we've done on the show. So definitely can't wait to talk to him again. Yeah. And for those very excited about that. Awesome. He brings a ton of energy and a ton of knowledge. That's just something I had never spoken to him before this summer. And, um, you know, just obviously hearing him talk some X's and O's and his recall of stuff from his playing days in the early 1970s and whatnot. It was pretty crazy. But um, so we're excited to have him back on. And in the meantime, show him some support on behalf of this program. Go to the Ken Anderson Alliance Foundation, support his charity charities need a lot of help this uh you know over the past year or so and his is a is a great cause so go support him we'll be promoting his charity as he comes on the program as well but happy to have him with us let's let's uh now that we've got some announcements out of the way we'll we'll have some more obviously to come but now that we have that out of the way um let's get into some news and notes john where do you want to start do you want to start with the defensive line coach edition i don't think marion hobby was announced by the time we took the air last week. Yeah, it was just like Frank Pollock a couple weeks ago. They hired 
Marion Hobby, the new defensive line coach, uh, in the middle of NFL Divisional Week. Like they hired Pollock in the middle of Wild Card Week. But yeah, Marion Hobby is the new defensive line coach. He replaces Nick Eason at that position. Um, and Anthony, pretty solid resume for a guy who's been coaching defensive lines and def- defensive that that side of the ball for the past 25 years. So let's kind of get into his resume and kind of what he brings to the team. Yeah. You know, he was a guy to me that was a little under the radar in some respects, not a name that, you know, I think a lot of people, I mean, at least as far as assistant coaches, positional coaches go, not a name that you thought of a bunch, but a guy that brings Two and a half decades of experience, and some of which I'm going to pull this up to share with everybody because you wrote the post, John, on CincyJungle.com to talk about his coaching career. We're going to pull up this article for you so you can see his resume. Uh, You know, two and a half decades, as I mentioned, he was involved at Clemson, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But most recently, John, a productive stint with the Miami Dolphins. And I was really impressed specifically this last year. I was really impressed with. I guess because of what he did against the Bengals, Kyle Van Noy uh, coming <laughs> over there and and really uh, making a making a nice year for himself there. He had the hat trick of sacks against the Bengals in that game after they let up you know six. And I <laughs> I have to believe that that game really kind of said, hey, who's this Marion Hobby guy for <laughs> some of the Bengals head coaches, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like that that Dolphins defensive line added like a bunch of young pieces this past offseason. Raquan Davis. Alabama, I think uh, they drafted Christian Wilkins. I think in Hobby's first year with them in 2019. Uh, so just that that whole defensive line kind of came together, and it wasn't like the strength of that unit because they had Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, right. and that that secondary playing playing well. But I think that defensive line kind of overproduced relative to what the expectations were, and that really boosted. I think that it was a testament for how good that Hobby is at teaching technique and getting results out of his guys. And before he was with Miami, he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars for a couple of years. The first year obviously was Saxonville. They had like 55 sacks and that, that unit carried them to the AFC championship game with the offense captain by Blake Bortles. So last four years, the hobby's been in the NFL. He's been in Florida, just getting sacks after sacks for, for these units. And I think that was just, that, that was the emphasis for, for what they were looking for to, to replace Nick Eason, because for the most part of, of Hobby's career, he's been not just a, a defensive line coach, but a defensive ends coach specifically. That's like kind of in his, been his specialty, and that's really the weakest one of the weakest positions on on the Bengals de- on on their defense right now. Because if Carl Lawson goes in free agency, you're left with Sam Hubbard and Khalid Kareem. So whoever you bring in to, re- to potentially replace Lawson, like you're going to need immediate results immediately because that's where the, the bulk of your sacks are going to come from, especially with Geno Atkins just not being who he was, even if, if Atkins isn't even on the team anymore. So I think they're counting on Hobby just utilizing what he does best and kind of developing wh- whoever he has to coach for 2021. So I think that was a, a really key uh, component in terms of who's going to replace Eason and who's going to be that main addition on the defensive coaching staff. Yeah, apparently DJ Reader, another article on CincyJungle.com, was instrumental in bringing over Marion Hobby to the Cincinnati Bengals. So, um, you know, he, he kind of did a little recruiting job. A lot of people kind of were asking, you know, why was this guy available? Why, why didn't he stick around if he did such a good job at some of these last stints? Well, you know, maybe there's a pathway. I mean, number one, the Reader aspect was was kind of, I guess, one one element you can 
talk about there. The others were, you know, I mean, if you look at his resume and every two, two years or so, for the most part, he kind of jumps around and looks for a new challenge and rebuilds a group and moves on. It's just kind of, you know, how it goes, I guess, as an assistant coach, a position coach in the NFL, um, you know, they usually sign two year contracts and then, you know, if, unless, unless there's a pathway maybe for Ascension or something like that, um, they don't, they don't necessarily stick around. So, uh, I mean, I, I think it's a good hire for this team. And like you said, John, this, the, the emphasis by Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo has to be in generating pressure and sacking the quarterback, you know, and, and it has to come from multiple areas, multiple players on the defensive line. It can't just come from Carl Lawson. We don't even know if he's going to stick around. I think we all hope he does. Um, so it can't just come from Carl Lawson. It can't just come from Sam Hubbard. They need to find and generate pressure for the, the entire defense to be effective and uh, potentially create more turnovers, which is another Achilles heel and has been for this defense under Lou Anarumo. Right. So Hobby is, I guess, technically the third hire they've made. The other one being Frank Pollock and the other one besides that being Troy Walters being promoted to our receivers coach. So right now we have most of the staff kind of compiled, but there really is just one primary vacancy left and that's running backs coach. And as it happens, uh, earlier this week, we had a report from NFL Network's Tom Pelissero that said that former running backs coach Gary Brown will be interviewing with the Bengals. I think he said next week. So if you're listening to this podcast the week of the 20th, it, this interview could happen sometime in the week after this. But Brown, just like Pollock and just like uh, Hobby, also brings a very, really positive resume to him. He's been he was a running backs coach from 2009 to 2019, both with the Cleveland Browns and the Dallas Cowboys. But the main thing to really note here is that he joined the Cowboys in 2013, the same year that Frank Pollock joined the Cowboys as the assistant offensive line coach to Bill Callahan. And then from 2015 to 2017, Brown and Pollock were the running backs coach, offensive line coach. And if you can remember those years, I think the Cowboys had the top rushing attack in the entire NFL. And that was obviously with Ezekiel Elliott leading the charge. But, you know, Brown has had success basically with regardless of who his running back is back there. And I think, really that Pollock connection in terms of just getting on the same page with the same you know, uh, language in terms of what they want to do. I think that is what will eventually bring Brown to Cincinnati here. Absolutely crucial that, you know, those two, it, it seems as if the Bengals, in case you haven't noticed, seem to be reemphasizing the run game and it's revitalization this, this soft season, um, new running backs coach, new offensive line coach and oh by the way the offensive line coach is also a a new position on the staff run game coordinator um and this is a guy who worked with ezekiel elliott um did did brown so you know he's a guy who's worked with top end talent he'll have another one in joe mixon presumably as well as potentially geo bernard if all things kind of um play out a similar way and actually what's you know first of all for for this for this potential hire Gary Brown interesting story I guess he kind of had a a cancer situation last year um, this past season that took him out of football and so now he's healthy again I guess he had to do some chemotherapy and whatnot sounds like he's healthy again so um, very interesting story and kind of if he is on the mend and doing well and in remission a feel-good story Um, and a guy who has like I said really coach some productive guys. And if you look at Ezekiel Elliott from the year that he had this year as compared to the year prior or the years prior 
under his tutelage, there's there's a big difference. There's a big difference. 1357 in terms of rushing yards in 2019, 979 this year, 12 touchdowns in 2019, six touchdowns, you know, as a rookie, 1631 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns. So, I mean, there's there's some signs there. Yeah, and as far as the 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 personal story, I believe when he was originally coaching with the Browns like in 2009, 2010, that's when he first ran into cancer and unfortunately uh, he was able to overcome that and he he had been cancer free for a while and then i think uh, i believe his daughter um was dealing with, with, with some form of a cancer as well I'm, i don't know oh, that boy, for sure i didn't know that but, yeah but this is the light research that i did with it and then yeah so uh, after the 2019 season dallas decided to part ways with him and unfortunately i think in the spring of 2020 um he found a malignant tumor around his pancreas. So obviously with COVID, the COVID situation, and obviously his cancer, he decided to take a year off. And But now, you know, he's just kind of back in back in the swing of things. And if he's not with the Bengals, he's probably going to be coaching again somewhere because like he said, like the, the production's there. Even before Elliott, you had DeMarco Murray in 2014 being an all-pro running back for, for Dallas. And that was really before, I guess, that entire offense line kind of came together as the elite unit it was. It was like the start of the Tyron Smith, um, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick uh, trio that kind of bulldozed uh, defensive lines back in the day. But even before Dallas, Peyton Hillis, if you remember him, he was on the cover of Madden after like a 13 or 1,200-yard season. That was with Brown as, as his running backs coach. So a, a lot of uh, credited history and production on the, on that resume. But again, the connection with Pollock is key here. Hit with Pollock being the running back, running game coordinator, the communication and the weekly game plan with that running backs coach is going to be crucial, but also it, it couldn't hurt to have Joe Mixon have a, a fresh uh, voice in terms of, you know, mentoring and, and coaching him because it definitely worked for Zeke. You just answered a question for Jonathan C. Thomas in our live Facebook chat saying, guys, I'm confused as to why a, a running backs coach is such a big deal. Well, John kind of answered m- most of the aspects as to that. Yeah. I mean, I, when you look at, well, why are these guys talking about a running backs coach? It's a position coach. It's a lower-end assistant coach on the team. Well, the fact is the Bengals need balance on offense. The fact is the Bengals have invested a lot of money at the running back position. And the fact is the Bengals' running game hasn't been very good since the end of 2018 when Frank Pollock was here. Now, to John's point, you've got a head coach. You've got an offensive coordinator. You've got an offensive line coach and potentially a running backs coach all kind of working in, in synchronization here because of the connections that they share uh, in terms of past coaching experience, guys they've worked with. You mentioned the Callahan connection, Frank Pollock working with the Cowboys and now the Bengals, et cetera. That's why it's a big deal. This, this, the, All of this can congeal into one thing that can be a massive boost to the Bengals offense. So that's why I think a running backs coach and talking about it is kind of a big deal, John. Yeah, and let's, let's not get it let's not get it twisted like the passing game is obviously more important it's what's going to dictate how far the Bengals do end up going in 2021 but at the same time you know the passing game does open up opportunities for the run game and they would like to maximize what they have with Joe Mixon you know like you said they're paying him for the next four years at about an average of 10 million a year on the cap so they want to get as much value with that as possible and they had success with running the ball with Frank Pollock but you might as well maximize it hopefully also with the additions of personnel up front so let's let's keep, keep it rolling. Uh, this was now we're talking a lot about run game and you know the we we're talking about the guys who put the game plans together, the X's and O's, etc. But you need the talent, you need the bodies, you need the guys up front to help you move your offense forward. And a big talking point 
for this offseason is what the Bengals will or won't do in free agency along the offensive line. There are a lot of people who have been talking about this who cover the Cincinnati Bengals, whether it's former players who cover the team or beat writers who have covered the team for a number of years. And of course, talking heads like John and myself keep talking about the offensive line options for the team. And by the way, it doesn't even mean just additions. It could mean subtractions that they make along the offensive line in, uh, come free agency time. So, John, there's been a couple of interesting articles and statements put out by one by Dave Lapham on the uh, the Bengals.com podcast that's out there, and then as well as some by Paul Daner Jr. based on some things that he is hearing. He, of course, PDJs with the athletics. So, I guess do we want to start with Lapham's comments uh, and, yeah. and what what he what he said the Bengals will and won't do in his estimation? Right, so he was on with Dan Horde, who does the Bengals Beat podcast, and they were answering like fan questions. And one of the questions was, "How will the Bengals address offensive line in free agency? How will they attack it?" And Lab basically said that you know they, for you know for all intents and purposes, think that they have depth and options at guard. And if there is going to be any spending or any type of additions, it's going to be on the edge, which he meant offensive tackle. And I think he name dropped Alejandro Villanueva as the guy that they won't look at because you know he's on the wrong side of thirty and he's not had didn't really finish the season really strong. But you know he, he basically towed the company line of saying like you know they, they may they may address one position, but they they think they have something in Xavier Suafila. Maybe they bring back Quinn Spain. But if there's going to be additions, it's going to be an offensive tackle. And you basically you know gave, gave the gave the whole you know the the classic narratives of not expecting too much in terms of the spending department, but overall offensive guard, he thinks that um, they're solid there. And if there is going to be any additions, it's going to be a tackle. That's basically what he said. So I, you know, it's, it's hard to disagree with him based on the team's track record and how they value guard. We know this, Um, you and I have discussed this quite a bit and uh, you know, here's, Here's my thing with some of the some of the names and statements that Dave Lapham put out there, and and it's not Dave Lapham that I have an, uh, I'm taking issue with here. It's if he believes that this is the way the team is thinking. When you say you're putting heavy stock in a guy like Xavier Suofilo, I understand. I I understand he's potentially a good scheme fit for what they're trying to run on offense. I understand he's a veteran presence. I understand they had a free agency investment in the guy. He played in six games last year, John. Six games. And in one of the games, he played 12% of the offensive snaps. Uh, and that was upon his return in week 13. So basically, he left week one early with an injury and didn't play again until week 13 and finished the season out. Um, and the last four games, he played 100% of the offensive snaps, but appeared in six games. And the fact that you're hanging your hat on a guy like that who's been a journeyman guard his entire career – up and down PFF scores, played in six games the first year, <laughs> the first year of his free agency contract, and that was a name specifically that Lapa mentioned that they really liked. I kind of was like, okay, not, not, not even competition. Yeah, it's uh, and I think it's important to note that for, for starters, for the last couple of years, I think Lapa and Jeff Hobson, who's the he's the editor of Bengals.com, like we we identify them as the guys that have like. So, some sort of insider knowledge and kind of pave the way for what to expect. 
But I think over the last couple of years, that hasn't been as much of the case. And specifically for this podcast, and all due respect to Lapham, the guy's a great guy and he's a great voice for the organization. I don't think he was necessarily speaking on stuff that he was told. I think he was just making a lot of conjecture based off of what he believes and what they conventionally um, value, I guess. So uh, people freaked out about this podcast and they were like jumping off cliffs and stuff like that because it's Lapham who said it. And he's the guy who's predicting all these draft picks and, and, uh, you know, allowing Frank Ragnar to get taken one pick ahead of them. But I I think for the most part, this was a a lot of speculation and it's, and again, it's also January. So it's not like he, like these are plans that are about to happen. So I think, everyone needed to just take a deep breath and realize what he was actually saying. That's true. And, you know, he talked about how the Bengals don't value guard there. Dave Lappin played for Cincinnati for, you know, 10, 11 years. And the vast majority of that was at both guard positions. So (laughs) uh, you may know a little thing about how they, how they view guards uh, traditionally, even though it's been a little while. And John and I have said this a bunch of times when it comes to free agency and offensive guard. The Bengals let Kevin Zeidler walk. They let Eric Steinbach walk. They let others walk. And really one of the only main investments, and I think that was a, a Marvin fought for type of thing, was Bobby Williams. He was a guy that that came in, and, and he was a very stable, very solid, solid player for this offensive line that was one of the best in football for quite a few years. So, um, you know, that's, that's really kind of the exception of the rule there when it comes to, to offensive guard. Now, the, the other thing, real quick, before we transition from Lapham to, to Paul Daner Jr., you might have touched on a little bit, but th- there is talk, I think they're kind of talking potentially, and, and both guys have kind of said it, that, that the Bengals are maybe looking a little bit seriously if they find a good option at tackle to get out of that Bobby Hart deal. Yeah, I think um, it's it's just it's just assumed now that, like, either before free agency or, or sometime before or after the draft, like Bobby Hart's going to be gone. It's just the, 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 the $6 million that they save getting them off the books is just, it's, it's just too valuable for them to, as opposed to just keeping him on the roster as a backup. Like that's, especially in a year where the salary cap's going to be, it's not raising by 10 million, it's being dropped by 20 million projected. Like that's space that they can't afford to not have if the alternative is just keeping him as depth. And even if he would be like a, a decent swing tackle or maybe a guy that you can put, put in at guard in emergency situations, like the, he, he's just too expensive to keep on the roster. And, you know, credit to him for, I guess, maximizing whatever potential that he had in his time here. But I, I think they, they realize the time is up and they need a serious answer there, which is something that I think everyone has said and, and has alluded to at, at some point. Yep. Uh, so let's move on a little bit to what Paul Daner Jr. said. He is hearing that, and there's an interesting, interesting line that he put, I guess I could share this for you. Um, you know, basically the Bengals, uh, have, have not lived up to their end of the bargain when it comes to stocking the offensive line and front of their franchise quarterback and not only that but their franchise quarterback that they, that's on a a rookie quarterback deal here's kind of some lines here i thought was interesting the Bengals failed with their approach to the offensive line last offseason they prioritized other positions in free agency and the draft while betting on development up front the bet lost it lost huge it cost people job uh, jobs, Joe Burrow, a healthy, healthy left knee and endangered the entire operation of head coach Zach Taylor's rebuild. So he goes on to say, John, and this is a, uh, a subscription 
uh, subscription website and a subscription article, but he goes on to say that he thinks that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to spend some money on the offensive line and potentially going against what Lapham said, maybe even at guard. Yeah, I think that's it's important because he like this doesn't get posted and published based off of like Daniel Jr.'s like in yeah, yeah, like like this is him hearing stuff from inside the organization. The man has sources. Like he predicted most of what was going to happen last offseason. I, I believe he name dropped both DJ Reader and Trey Waynes as legitimate targets. He predict predicted the entire purge of that side of the ball. Like this is something that is definitely being talked about. And just very similar to last season, it's being spurred by desperation. Like last year, they knew that they needed new talent all over the defense, and that's exactly what they did. Now they know that they need to actually fix the offensive line because number nine went down screaming in pain and has a nine month recovery path. Like that isn't something that they're just brushing off to the side. Like he is saying exactly what every Bengals fan on Twitter and on Cincy jungle and all over the internet is saying they need to actually invest in the offensive line. And that seems to be the plan right now. That's now, whether that's Joe Tooney, whether that's Brandon Scherf, whether that's uh, a guy that is starting to be talked about more in credit to my co-host, John Sheeran, bringing him up early in the free agency talk process, Taylor Moton, a guy who has been extremely durable and a very, very solid starter um, in the NFL since since joining the Panthers. He's a guy that, that could be – now there's talk, though, that he could be franchise tagged, so we'll see what happens there. But, you know, he could be an option for this team. There are others out there, but – the status quo is obviously not cutting the mustard, and it sounds like, at least according to Paul Daner Jr., that there the Bengals aren't aren't going to sit sit idly by and do nothing based on what happened this this uh, season with Joe Burrow's injury and and all of that. And, and I want to bring up like the guard versus tackle debate because like I, I kind of touched on this on Twitter, but I want to basically start a dialogue about it. Because okay. like Lapham said, you know, traditionally that they don't value guard. And that's also kind of what Daner Jr. Um, wrote about. Like if there was going to be an addition, it would be a tackle and all that stuff. Because like looking at the draft history, looking at who they've extended, it's always been a tackle. They've always just pushed the guard spot to the side. Before last season, aside from Demata Pecco, have the Bengals ever looked at and prioritized nose tackle? Because that's exactly who they brought in in DJ Reader last year. Like DJ Reader was not brought in cheap. He was the highest paid nose tackle in the NFL last free agency. Like he got exactly what his market was and what he was projected to get. The Bengals spent a a pretty penny on the top player at his position. The thing is, nose tackle is not valued that high. It's not a premium position. It's not wide receiver. It's not cornerback. It's not offensive tackle. DJ Reader is a three technique, and if he rushes the passer, he's not coming to the Bengals because he's making a ton more money. Then we go to August. Joe Mixon gets signed for a, a market value deal. Why? Running back is not a premium position. They can afford it. It's, it's in their pay range. They're, the only reason why they're going to extend Jesse Bates is because he's not a cornerback. If he was a cornerback, they would, be, they would be projecting his compensatory pick right now. They're going to extend him because safeties are cheaper than cornerbacks. This, I think, is an angle that's not being talked about right now. Guards are cheaper than tackles. So a market value deal for a Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf, it's going to be cheaper than a market value deal for a left or right tackle, especially yeah. in the Taylor Bone range. I just think that that's something that we need to remember. Like, just because they're going to be serious about spending at offensive line, I don't think it just automatically means they're going to pay, they're going to pay for a top tier tackle. And really, there's only one aside from Trent Williams that they can afford it, that, that 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 would fit that bill, and that's Taylor Modon. And like you said, he could be franchise tag or even extended by the Panthers. So once Moden goes off the market, 
top tier tackle market is, is done. You're going to the second level already. With the guards, though, both Tooney and Scherf were just franchise tags. So the odds of them both returning to their original teams are very low. So at least one of them is going to be on the market. And both of them are not going to make as much real money, real money, guaranteed money, not the total money that you see in, in, in the Twitter posts. They're not going to make as much as those tackles. I just think that those guys just make more sense for what the Bengals will, would be willing to pay uh, come free agency. I just think it's an angle that no one's really talking about. That's a fantastic point. Fantastic point. And last year at this time, we were talking about a specific New Orleans Saints offensive lineman as a guy that I think a lot of people thought would have been uh, maybe it wasn't this time. Maybe it was a little later. I can't remember. But Larry Warford was a guy, mm-hmm. a name that was thrown out. And Larry Warford, I see Lawrence Hunter in the in the live Facebook chat talking about Larry Warford. He was a guy that was talked about. And then all of a sudden he opted out. I think the Bengals had a little interest in him. And then, you know, uh, he, he opted out of the season. So that fizzled out. Now, that may be an option that they, they look to explore if he, you know, he comes back again. And that's that's somebody they could pay some decent money to maybe not break the bank because they can use the argument, well, you didn't play football last year, whatever, you know, whatever that may be. And, uh, you know, kind of cut some costs a little bit, but still get an effective starter on an interior lineman. And to your point, have, you know, spend money on a non-premium position, but still spend money on an upgrade at the offensive line. There are options like that potentially out there if they get creative. Yeah. And I think ideally it, at the end of the day, if they're if they're able to get an upgrade offense tackle, I think they're going to prioritize that because they may feel like tackle is a bigger need, and that's I guess where the search starts. But when it all comes down to it, and what options that they have available, and how much money they feel like they are comfortable spending, I think we can't forget about a top tier guard in that situation. But at the end of the day, both the the tackle and guard markets are pretty similar. They're just there's a couple of names at the top and then it's just a big drop off after that. So it's honestly a good year to attack the offense line in, in, in the draft because there seems to be a ton of talent there. But like we talked about, they can't go into the draft needing to get multiple offense line. They need to get that problem solved before that. They, they hate going into the draft with glaring, glaring needs. They've talked about that and whether they, you know, how the fans view a glaring need and how they view a glaring need. Sometimes they're not in alignment, but they, they, I mean, you spoke to Duke Tobin last year and he basically, you know, reiterated the fact that we, we like to mostly go best player available. We don't like to sit here and have our hand forced at a position and, you know, basically reach or overcompensate for roster deficiencies to take a lesser player. They just don't like to do that. Now, when they, when they, in years past, have not gone big in free agency and then they try and utilize that approach in the draft that doesn't always work out in their favor. Last year, it kind of the stars aligned a little bit. They made some splashes in free agency and then they got the star picks and Pro Football Focus nominated their draft class as the number one by their metrics uh, in terms of performance in 2020. So a lot of things lined up. But, I mean, it, you're right. I mean, they, they cannot go into the draft needing two, three star, immediate starters. It's it just, you know, and, and if you're expecting to get that out of the draft, it's just not going to happen day one. You may nail one, maybe two if you're lucky, but that's just not how, you know, that's just not really how the dice end up rolling. Yeah, it's true. Like that that's a desperation move, and that's something that I think they just want to avoid. Like yeah. they, they, I think, still value 
some of the players that they have here. And that's part of why Pollock was brought in because they believe that he can develop those players better than Jim Turner. But like th- these decisions that they're going to make, it, it's not spurred off of, of a proactive thinking. Everything that they do that we think is progressive, it's really just reactive. It's just them always being a little bit too late to address the situation. But when they finally decide to do such a thing, they tend to, they tend to do it, you know, pretty aggressively. So we'll see how it happens. There's still two months before all this stuff really goes down, but the, the writing definitely seems to be on the wall with this. Yeah. So that's some of the news and notes and our opinions based on the headlines surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got a free agency profile to get to. We're going to start doing rolling those out weekly as well as draft prospect profiles that we think the Bengals could be linked to or interested in. And of course, we've got another state your case. John, do we, should I throw you a curveball and say we should do the free agency profile next because we're talking free agency or do you want to end the show with that? I'll leave it up to you. Hmm. Let's go to the draft and throw the curveball back at you. Okay, let's do it. So we'll 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 get to our state your case in just a second. It does uh, it does center around the NFL draft, so we'll get to that in just a second. But a quick reminder: get the show on your favorite audio streaming platform: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place, so check it out. Leave us a review for the Cincy Jungle Channel, whether it's our show, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, or Orange is the New Black, the podcast by Ace and Zim. They're they're all doing some great stuff, some great video work, some great podcast work. So uh, we appreciate all the support. It was a banner, banner year for our podcast channel last year, and we're hoping to make it even better for 21. We thank you for your support, but get the show how you can, and uh, we'll keep bringing you some content. Last week, we debuted a segment called State Your Case. And in it, John brought the fire with the Joe Tooney versus Brandon Scherf argument and merits, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, merits or, uh, I don't know, demerits <laughs> of uh, either guy and, and who, who the Bengals should be targeting if they're going to spend some of this money we've been talking about on the offensive line. But the other big debate as of, now with the Bengals at the number five pick and and hopefully you saw our mock draft our three round mock draft last week as well we did that through pro football networks simulator the Panay Sewell fell to the Bengals at number five a lot of people don't think he's going to fall there Panay Sewell and their simulation fell to him so obviously we felt inclined despite trade offers to take Sewell at the number five position some of the scenarios that play out either through these simulators or in people's mind's eyes or what have you is that Sewell is gone and the Bengals will have a choice between Heisman winner Devontae Smith and former LSU Tiger Jamar Chase, exciting player who did not play in 2020. Uh, I think it was a combination of the COVID crisis, but also just kind of preparing for the NFL draft, it would seem. So the Bengals may have a major choice to make with Sewell presuming Sewell's off the board. And I think we all think that he's going to be their top choice. One of their top guys on the draft board. They obviously don't need a quarterback. So that may be the guy that they want, but if he is gone, the Bengals may look at one of these two wide receivers. We've said it a ton of times. AJ Green's a free agent. Alex Erickson's a free agent. Um, Mike Thomas is a free agent and I'm missing somebody. I always miss somebody because four of them 
uh, John Ross, thank you. Uh, are the, the four guys are impending free agents, and it's quite possible that most, if not all, of those guys will not be in stripes next year. So the, the point is that the Bengals may be looking at wide receiver with their top five pick this year, and it very well could come down to those two players. It seems as if people have their little camp of who they like, John. Um, I obviously like both players. I think they're exciting players, and they bring a lot potentially to the Bengals' offense. As I sit here today, and I watched a little bit of film again to prep for this, um, and I look at the measurables and and you know that that sort of thing, some other factors, and there are risks and rewards to both guys. I'm sitting here, and I I like Jamar Chase at number five over Devontae Devontae Smith. And I I don't say that lightly because I think Devontae Smith brings a lot to the table, like I said. But there is a lot here. I I went back and watched some highlights and of his of his particularly of his touchdown catches. Uh, he had 20 of them in 2019. And I want to preface all of this by saying, yeah, it is. I, I get a little tentative about the fact that he didn't play last year. But, um, you know, I think there's some understandable reasons behind that. It's the same kind of hesitation I have a little bit with Sewell. But there's there's some of the film speaks for itself. I look at Chase's film. I saw some of it again today. And, you know, he had the 20 touchdown receptions with Joe Burrow in 2019. John, I'd have to go back and count, but the vast majority of them were twenty, were where where the ball traveled 20, 20, 25 yards in the air or more. By the way, a facet of the Bengals' offense that has that was sorely lacking, even with Joe Burrow last year. There was ample separation off of again college defensive backs, but SEC defensive backs, or there was a handful of other touchdown catches that were jump ball fades that were 10 or so yards out from the red zone. So the majority of his touchdown catches seem to play into the wheelhouse of the weaknesses that the Bengals are trying to improve upon on offense this year. Joe Burrow himself, when he went on the herd on FS1, he said that he really wants to work on the deep ball. He said the same thing to the Cincinnati media when he returned to Paul Brown Stadium. So as of right now, the chemistry potentially with Joe Burrow, the size, and that deep ball capability, I know there's some of that with Smith. What I saw on tape when I watched some of it this week, I, I think I like Chase at five over Smith. This is not going to be a very spicy debate because I agree with you 100%. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure the comment section does, but you, you might have reservations about him not playing. I have negative reservations about it. He didn't need to play a single snap in 2020, not because his quarterback would be from Joe Burrow to Miles Brennan, but – I mean, he. I, I'm assuming he spent the entire offseason, quote unquote, just getting stronger and getting faster because he's already really, really strong and really, really fast. You have to remember, as a as a Blinnikoff winner in 2019, he was 19 years old. He was doing all that stuff as a teenager, going up against his SEC competition week after week. Devontae Smith is an incredible player and very talented, and I think we can all agree that he's going to be pretty successful early in his NFL career. But th there does need to be said something about Jamar Chase being a first-year starter at 19 years old and becoming a number one receiver in the best passing offense in college football and establishing that connection with the eventual Heisman winning quarterback and the 
first overall pick for the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, everything that Jamar Chase did is even more impressive for how young he was in doing it. And I think that is an, an incredibly relevant point of discussion when talking about who the Bengals will prefer. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, John Ross, they all produced really early in their college careers, and they all developed into really good college players at a really young age. Like A.J. Green was 20 as a freshman because he was just really old, but as a freshman, he led that Georgia team in receiving yards. T. Higgins overtook Justin Ross really early in his career. Tyler Boyd had like a 1,000 more receiving yards than any other pit, up, pit player for yeah. when, he was, when he was a true sophomore as like 19. They value that a lot. So he he had the production and he has the talent and he did all that at a really young age. And he just spent the last year just working on his craft. Like any negative that he had in 2019, you can just put on the fact that he's he was just so young. And the only slight negatives were just inconsistency. Sometimes he has some choppy footwork out of his releases or getting out of his breaks. Maybe he wasn't the fastest guy out there. And, and you know, it, it's it's really hard to gauge that on tape, but like he's going to check all the boxes and I don't think there's a debate in this. I think Jamar Chase is clearly the best receiver out of these two and that will definitely be the receiver that the Bengals will prefer. And I think it should be noted that, you know, people say the Bengals don't need a receiver this early in the draft. They have T Higgins, they have Tyler Boyd. Like you said, they're going to have lose a lot of snaps of receiver. And I think it is important to fill and compensate for those targets that are leaving the offense. Like AJ Green had a hundred targets this past year. Um, John Ross had, about like 10 or so in the first two weeks. Like there's a lot of targets that are on the table and it would be nice as long as the offense line is solidified to fill those targets with an elite talent like Chase and a guy that is only going to get better and only going to hit the prime of his career when he enters that second contract in his mid twenties. So I think it's an easy, is an easy choice here. The other thing with it, I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, some, some, sites if you look at them you know they they say they're both six foot one sometimes chase is listed a little bit bigger uh smith is 175 chase uh has quite you know quite a bit more bulk on him than that i think he's you know probably about 25 or so pounds heavier and it's it seems to be you know muscle and bulk not not the negative stuff you look hey look Stat line for Devontae Smith, 117 catches, 1,856 yards, and 23 touchdowns this year. Absolutely amazing season. Here's the big disparity for me, John, aside from the little bit of, of the bulk that, that I like to see because the Bengals are asking their receivers in this offense, they're asking to, them to make the contested catches downfield. They're asking them to make some of the tougher catches, out-muscle defenders. That, that's why I like the, the chase pick a little bit more here. The other thing, John – and I guess this comes a little bit with grabbing 117 catches, but 15.9 yards per uh, yards per catch for Devontae Smith. Definitely nothing to sneeze at this year. Uh, this year for him in 2019, 84 catches, 1780 yards, a 21.2 yards per catch average by Jamar Chase. Basically, five and a half. Or what is that? Five and a half plus yards uh per per catch more on average in his last season and this offense needs big plays through the air they had a few of them but they missed on a lot of opportunities opportunities this year and i think that chase's ability matched with potentially some of the old chemistry with joe burrow i i just i think i gotta go that route like and with, with smith people will knock him for his size and there, there is a point to that. Like it's, it's hard to find in general, like receivers who are less than 180 pounds, but at least six foot. And honestly, like the best comparison I can think of is Paul Richardson, who was drafted by 
the Seattle Seahawks back in like 2014. Yeah. He was incredibly productive at Colorado. He ran like a 4-4 flat. So it's not a knock on Smith to be compared to a guy like Richardson who eventually got a, a handsome contract with Washington, but he just kind of fell off, I, I think, a couple years ago. But when he was really good, he was really good in that Seattle offense. And I think that's a great um, like prospect comparison for Smith. But also, but I, I think the, the floor is just as high for Chase, but the ceiling is is even higher for him for how young he is. The fact that he's that athletic for being 20 pounds heavier than Smith and the fact that he did it at such a young age, like there's just too much going for Chase. And like you said, like I think Pro Football Focus had him with 25 catchable deep targets and he caught 24 of them in 2019. Like he was by far the most productive deep threat at receiver. And that's something that, like you said, the Bengals need, but also on top of all of that, like the last person he caught a pass from was Joe Burrow. Like that chemistry is already there. And it's not like the, the defining reason why you take him because right, right, I, think right, we right. Can, I think we can agree that Burrow can establish chemistry with any receiver that you give him. But the fact that it is already there and it's, and it's a top five pick and, and you need that pick to be successful. I think it's, it's a, a low risk, but incredibly high reward pick. And that's why it'll be easy if the Bengals end up making it. Kevin R. Reynolds in the Facebook chat said, Smith will not last in the AFC North. He's not physical enough. Yeah, he's fast, but one good hit and bam, shortened career. And Anthony Thompson follows it up with John Ross 2.0. I mean, I don't I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that, but uh, – it's, it's hard to touch Smith, man. He's, he's quick as hell. Right, <laughs> like, right, you know, right. It's, it's like, it's like more, it's Lamar Jackson. People say he won't last. He'll get injured. Like, it's hard to tackle him. So, it's not a knock on Smith. It's just like those receivers are kind of rare. And it's, it really is hard to project, you know, how they're going to do long term. And I think that's really the question with him. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, the other facet I want to point out here, there's some people saying, what about Ter- Terrace Marshall from LSU and, you know, uh, Tony and all these other guys that are potentially going to be there at the top of round two. This isn't a, a an argument to say they must draft Jamar Chase. I'm saying if the argument comes down to those two guys at Panay Sewell's off the board and they're talking wide receiver, but and those are the top two guys, I think if you're the Bengals, you got to look at Chase. That doesn't mean, you know, necessarily that they need to go wide receiver at five and ignore it later on or go. Yeah, there are a lot of different options, but I'm just saying for this specific argument, number five, if it comes down to wide receiver, I think John and I are in, in unison here saying that Jamar chase probably should be the pick for the Cincinnati Bengals based on a number of different factors. So that's the, this week's state your case. We've got more of these coming. It's been fun. I, we, we had a little disagreement last week, a little bit of agreement last week, and then we're in, we're in sync this week, John. I I feel good about it. Yeah, honestly, maybe yeah. Honestly, maybe an even better discussion would be Devonta Smith or, or Jalen Waddle, which yeah. maybe we can talk about in the future. But I mean, that's a whole other topic for another time. So let's move on to I think our first edition of this year of free agency profiles. We kind of did this uh, last year. We just you know highlight one potential free agent target for the Bengals this year. Um, we're gonna start it. I guess I'm not really contradicting myself, but we talked a little bit about guards and Joe Tooney and Brandon Scherf um, last week and a little bit uh, earlier in the show this week. But I'm going to mention a tackle that is not really being talked about that much in free agency because, like we said, Taylor Moden uh, ends up getting tagged or he's just out of the Bengals' price range. They're going to be looking towards the second and third tier of that position. And I think a guy that would make a lot of sense is Daryl Williams out of the Bills. Um, I believe he didn't played tremendously well against the Ravens in that in that uh, divisional game. But I think his career arc is definitely an interesting one. He was actually Moan's teammate for a, for a season in, 20, in 2017 and 2018. And he 
I think 2017, which is when Moden was a rookie, uh, Williams was an all pro at right or left tackle for the Panthers. And then he had an unfortunate injury in 2018. And, um, uh, you know, unfortunately that made him sign a one year contract in 2019 as like a prove it deal. And he didn't really play that well in that season. So 2020 offseason comes around. He signs a one year deal with the Buffalo Bills. And he kind of returns to that top level form in 2020. He was, I think, the second, 20, 22nd ranked offensive tackle for Pro Football Focus in terms of just overall offensive grade. But it, it's really just the fact that, you know, there's injury history there. There's a lot of inconsistency. The fact that he didn't really have a good season to like his third year in the NFL. So he's been in the league for five or six years. He's only had a couple of high level productive years and there's obviously injury issues and the fact that he's coming off of a one-year prove a deal and re-entering the market so it, it seems like if the Bengals miss out on a Moden, like Darrell Williams kind of fits the bill of, about who they would look for in, in terms of I guess right in the price range of who would, they would look at off the tackle because like we said they're not going to invest a lot of money in that position because it is a premium position but a guy that isn't going to be in that mid-tier market I think Darrell Williams makes a lot of sense. I I do as well. Not a not a guy that a lot of people are talking about per se. Six six three thirty played uh, per Pro Football Focus. Played over a thousand snaps. He did have nine penalties uh, this this year. Allowed just three sacks though. Overall PFF score, John seventy nine point four for the year. So pretty pretty solid work by him and a, a guy that. You know, I think the Bengals could could look at a, as a you know a, a rental option, like you said, kind of a a different career arc to him. He was a fourth round pick uh, in 2015, so a little bit of a different career arc. But yeah, um, you know, he's a guy. There are a couple of these kinds of of guys in this year's free agent class that seem to uh, you know fit that same mold, and um, you know, kind of kind of guys that might be you know, acceptable starters, pretty good starters, probable upgrades. And, uh, but, but, but a good, a good choice. And we all know, John, the Bengals like those old Buffalo bills. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's Cordy Glenn. That's quitting Spain. Might as well just fill up the rest of the offense line right tackle. Now um, it's just be- because, you know, the bills are going to be dealing with the Josh Allen contract situation. He's going to be eligible for an extension this off season. I think right now they're only at projected, you know, like somewhere in the eight to ten million dollars in projected cap range, so there are going to be decisions that they that they're going to have to make. And because they just really attacked offensive line and just building it in front of Allen, like they've got a lot of pieces there. I think they would feel pretty confident about bringing someone else and maybe drafting someone to fill that spot. But like, what what is his market going to look like? That's the biggest question here. Because in, in general, free agency is is going to look a little bit differently because of the cap shrinking. Maybe guys take a little bit less money this season. Maybe they just accept a one-year deal so they can re-enter the market next season when the cap is well over $200 million. It could be a case for Williams, who's still only 28 years old, so he's got a couple years left before he can sign like maybe one final big deal. But you know, it, it's unfortunate for him because you know 2018 was a, was a big year for him. He only played 56 snaps. He had that bad injury, and I think that's why kind of regressed in 2019 and uh, unfortunately didn't return to that 2017 form so it's been it's been a little bit unfortunate for him but you know finding his stride on, on a good team with buffalo i wouldn't be surprised if they allowed him to, to retest the market and again he's not going to break the bank he's not going to reset the market at right tackle it would make sense for that premium position for the Bengals to i guess fill it with a guy that that would be affordable especially once once they shed the bobby hart contract you think he fits in with 
with Frank Pollock and all of that, you think he fits in pretty well? Yeah, yeah like, because initially looking back at Cordy Glenn, which is, I mean, he was traded for when Pollock was here. I didn't like look at Glenn as a guy that would work well in his own scheme because of his size and what he does well. But I think if they were, if they were to be conf- confident in Glenn and that type of athlete, uh, meaning like one of the bookend spots, I think they would be also looking at Williams. And also just because like he's a, a solid option and a free agent class that's not really deep. So I, I think just naturally he's going to be more attractive because of how talented he is and how not talented the other options are, I guess. So I, I think, yeah, I think they would find a way to make it work. Good stuff as usual, John. That's our first free agency profile of 2021 as the Bengals look to potentially shore up the offensive line. Surely will not be the last offensive lineman we profile on this. We'll be talking about free agency profiles. We'll be doing some NFL draft profiles and uh, obviously some other stuff as well. And if you're just joining us, either maybe you missed the first part of the show or uh, you're, you're segmenting the first part and the second part, if you're digesting the show later, another just a reminder of an announcement. We've got Ken Anderson and others coming on the program. Ken Anderson will either be joining us next Wednesday or the Wednesday after. We're working that out. So hopefully we can hammer that down and, and figure that out. But uh, we have been in touch with him and he is eager to rejoin us on the program. So we're excited about that and uh, get you that get you that interview. It'll be fun. John, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. We're, we're making good time tonight. We're cruising, cruising, mm-hmm. making good time. What do you have for us before we hop out of here? Yeah, so we had a couple of Bengals rookies in the news this week. You might have heard one of them, Joe Burrow. He auctioned off, or he is auctioning off, some custom-designed cleats and <clears throat> excuse me, donating the proceeds to the Athens Food County Pantry and some more good work that he's doing, but also – Akeem Adeniji, the Bengals six-round pick, he just got engaged today to his uh-huh. girlfriend of a couple of years. So good for him, good for those rookies, um, you know, moving on with their lives and making good strides. I think with Adeniji, it's just kind of nice to think about. Like he, you know, it, it, he was a Jim Turner guy. He was brought in uh, under Jim Turner's second year, but I think he's just the guy that they're, they're going to be counting on as important depth. You know, you know, Frank. He he might not be a guy that Frank Pollock would have drafted or really would have prioritized in the draft or really thought really high of, but. I think he has the right mindset and the right athleticism to, I guess, have value in, in what, what Pollock will look for in terms of just filling out the rest of the offense line. So Adenergy seems like a really nice guy. They've had nothing but great things to say about him. So congratulations to him, and hopefully it's just it's just the start of, of a great time with the Bengals. Yeah, good stuff there. To kind of piggyback off that a little bit, um, some more good news of a guy who he's an impending free agent, but he was a Bengal this year, Mackenzie Alexander, the weird and potentially had potential to be a very sad situation with he and his missing father over the summer. Um, There were some assault charges that were brought upon him and they have all been dropped. And not only that, the more important thing is that his father was found safe and, and healthy. So um, you know, good, good for him. Good, uh, good vibes from Mackenzie Alexander. There was, I think it was Ben baby talking about, he, he doubts that Mackenzie Alexander will be coming back, but didn't really extrapolate on that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. At least not that I saw. So that, that was kind of disheartening. I, I was hoping he would be a guy that the Bengals bring back. I think he deserves another shot as their slot corner. So, uh, did you, did he give a reason? I don't know if I saw, saw a reason to follow that up, John. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, I think Ben said that was more of his educated guess, but we're going to have to have him on the show again to really explain that. Yeah, yeah. 
Ben's Ben's a good guest. He's been on our show a couple times. Great guy, and uh, yeah, he'll have to he'll have to explain himself on that one. And I just also just to end it, I put out a, a plea for some help uh, for just a, a small favor. And uh, a number of you responded, direct messaged me to, to help me out with um, just a, a dumb little favor. <laughs> and I, I just want to publicly say thank you to, to those of you who responded to that. I, I don't like asking for favors, but being geographically where I reside, when I need something in Cincinnati, it becomes a little difficult to <laughs> to get there. But I appreciate people who are willing to help there. That was, that was nice, especially um, just... For the sake of helping, it was nice. But that's all I got, John. Want to hop on out of here? Yeah, let's go on out of here. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Get the show how you can on your favorite platform. Subscribe to the YouTube channel right under John's left shoulder there. You can click that icon and subscribe to our channel and get notified when we go live. You can also like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. You can get notified when our show goes live or just the new Black goes live. All kinds of material, including stories on cincyjungle.com great ones like the guy next to me who writes daily for the site go check that out like the facebook page subscribe to our youtube channel we will see you soon thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your week